So let's go back to the hat. I know you're not a Penn State alum, but you're right near the university. So what what drives the uh, the apparel? Yeah, so Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is where our facility is located. Home of the Little League World Series. Home of the Little League World Series, which the chaos starts here in about another two weeks. Um, my dad was a huge Penn State fan. And he, he does not have a college degree as well. Uh, but growing up, I was going to Penn State football games as young as I can remember. And up until he retired in 2018, I don't think he missed a whole Penn State game here in over 42 years. Wow. So, ironically as well, I was born January 2nd, 1983. And 1982, Penn State won a national championship. And the celebration of that, that national championship is what put my mom in the labor. Ah. Uh. So there, there's deep roots when it comes to Penn State, although nobody in the family has attended Penn State University. Fair enough. But you're big supporters of them. We are. Uh, we have season tickets. We probably get to three or four home games per year. Um, donate to different projects that are going on around the university and try to stay involved in that community as much as we go. Yeah. So what I just heard was when Indiana goes to Penn State, I'm not going to talk about the potential outcome of the game, but that means I have an avenue to go, come and hang out in that small little stadium of yours. Yes, small. I've never been to an actual Penn State football game, but I have driven past the stadium. And as an IU guy, and you compare football programs simply by the physical structure it's like comparing JV to varsity. It's a pretty cool sight to see. Stars, I think the stadium currently holds just over 108,000. And it's a it's an awesome environment to see a college football game in. And, and back to your original question, when IU comes to town, you guys have tickets and a place to sit. Awesome. Appreciate that. I actually have this. This will date me and maybe make you feel slightly older. I, one of my daughters is now at the University of Tennessee, and uh, she'll be a sophomore in a couple of weeks. Uh, went down to a home football game down there. Of course, SEC country, it's all about football. And oh, yeah. driving up to their stadium, I was like, holy shit, it looks like an NFL stadium. Um, went to the game, and like, to your point, that's why I want, now I'm more intrigued to go to a game at Penn State because the atmosphere is just is, was nuts. It's um, pretty electrifying. Yeah, cool. All right, well, we'll have to take you up on that. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Industrious Podcast. Thank you all for joining us from wherever you get podcasts, or if you're joining us on the Assessor YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. We look forward to any comments that you guys may have, and don't forget, if you haven't subscribed, hit that little subscribe button. won't cost you a single penny. Um, hit the little notification bell so you guys can be alerted when new episodes like this one drop. 
and uh, let's get rolling. All right, today's guest, Mr. Seth Alberts of the Ralph S. Alberts Company, as you can clearly see in the great state of Pennsylvania. Seth, welcome to the Industrious Podcast. Appreciate you guys having me. Why don't you give our viewers and listeners a little background info on yourself? Sure. So myself, um, I'm a third generation owner of our family business. Uh, the uh, business was incorporated in 1963. So ironically, just a few weeks ago, we had a celebration here amongst our local communities celebrating our 60th year of business. Nice. Congrats. Appreciate that. Um, we are a multifaceted custom molding company. So my grandfather actually started the business in the basement of his house. And at the time he was a material sales rep, selling epoxies, resins, things of that nature, but also had a tool jig and die background from his days in the military. Um, he called on Piper Aircraft, which is located in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, about 25 minutes from our facility currently. And knew an engineer there and, and went to sell that materials. Then they actually countered and asked if they could use his tooling knowledge to build molds and start utilizing the polyurethane foam material that he was selling to make crash pens before the steering columns of the Piper Cubs. So he went back to the basement of this house, built four or five molds, started making crash pads for Piper. Just so happened that the engineer at Piper knew a maintenance manager at Hershey Park and knew that they were having problems with the upholstery on their phone, their fume uh, boat rides. And so he made a call to them and started making foam padding for their amusement park guides. Now, today, 50% of our gross business involves making all the and padding devices for the amusement park industry. So there's really not a, a roller coaster, thrill ride anywhere in the world that we don't do work for. And since then, it's, it's really blossomed um, through mostly organic growth up until this point into serving multiple industries, utilizing uh, multiple different molding processes from injection molding, um, hand cast silicones. We just recently brought uh, brand new EVA technology elements. So we're, we're constantly looking to fulfill niche markets that a lot of other companies don't even want to touch. Um, tell us something that I wouldn't already know about the business. Um, I also, th I get, I get excited when people come to our facility because we really pride ourselves in being a one-stop shop from design consultation all the way through full production. So oftentimes people don't know our full array of capability needs till they actually get touring through our, our facility and our location. Um, one of the one of the cool things that I don't think a lot of people recognize Ralph Alberts for is 
we do a lot of work in the medical simulation industry. Yep. So we manufacture all of the internal skeletal components and outer skins for a baby, a pediatric boy, an adult male, a pregnant female, a geriatric simulator, um, and multiple simulators that get sold to the different armed force divisions to train on tourniquets, um, tracheotomies, things of that nature. So, you know, you mentioned that about half the, the business is tied to the amusement park industry and, you know, you know, called a layperson who goes to an amusement park or a thrill park, they're not, they're not thinking about the nuts and bolts of how these components in these rides got here. They're, they're there to, to be a guest and have a good time. Uh, and my wife kind of makes fun of me being, you know, in a, obviously also a manufacturing environment on the coding side. The nerd in me is when I go to a restaurant, I'm checking out the finish on the tables and things like that. Uh, and, and I get the, the solid eye roll from my wife and kids. Um, but that, but you kind of just touched on my question was going to be, what's the other 50%? Um, and you, and you started to answer that. How did you guys diversify ultimately from what was a pretty solid amusement park focus into growing the business, uh, as you mentioned, organically into some of those other industries? And, and diversification is a key word when I think you describe our success. Um, because although the amusement park industry makes up a, a big chunk of our business, uh, the other 50% is diversified over multiple industries and product lines. And I think that goes back to my comment on um, really operating within in niche markets and, and oftentimes, and excuse my language, but we do the shit that nobody else wants to touch and we're good at it. And so I, I think that's where some of that organic growth came from is just through word of mouth, customers over the years couldn't find somebody to produce what, what they wanted to create a market. And we said, oh yeah, we'll figure that out. We'll do it for you. Mm -hmm. And so it's really been an embracing that mentality of being solution-based. You know, I often, when we, we sit down in meetings with our management team, I, I think there's a sign on the wall in the conference room that for everyone complete must bring two solutions. And I think we try to carry that mentality throughout, you know, our whole business development aspects as well is find a way to serve markets or customers that, that nobody else is doing. Certainly. Yeah. I think you might have just copied our sort of internal unofficial tagline. Yeah. <laughs> well, 60 years is a great achievement. So again, congrats on that. I do have to ask you though. So it's an interesting question whenever, when someone comes into a family business um, or I get, I often get asked maybe by younger kids coming out of college, if they have the opportunity to do that, typically I'll tell them uh, either go do something else first or go, go to a different company. Maybe it's in the same industry first and really decide on someone else's dime. Um, is this really what you want to do? You're going to make some mistakes. I mean, we all made mistakes in our twenties, you know, make some mistakes on someone else's dime and then, and then maybe come in. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. What did you always know that you wanted to come into the family business 
or if you didn't, when when did that um, when, when did that that switch flip, if you will? So it's a good question. Um, I mean, I, you guys know as well being involved in, in a family business and with family, business never stops for us. Like I remember as a kid. I'd get done with ball practice or I'd come home and even the conversations at the dinner table were, were dominated by things that were going on at work. Um, and then growing up through high school, uh, my dad really encouraged me or I should say pushed through and forced me to work in the factory uh, during during the summer when, when I was off from school. And during those summers, I, I did, in fact, developed a mindset that I didn't think I wanted to come back to business. And he, he also encouraged me to, as you said, to kind of go explore other avenues. And I think that encouragement really is what finally drove me to attending the University of Kentucky and, and seeking out my accounting. And so when I graduated, I worked for an accounting firm down in Lexington for a couple of years, but I knew at that point, back in my mind, that I was I was ready to come back. And I, I, I love the entrepreneurial side of it. Um, even though most of our growth has, has been organically, it's been organically by bringing in new technologies or new processes. And that, that operational side is really where I feel I personally excel and, and what I enjoy doing the most. So I, I think in the back of my mind, I, I knew I would always come back in, but it just took me a little while to uh, confirm those thoughts. Yeah. So then I have to ask why, why Kentucky? So another funny kind of sports story. I was always a Kentucky basketball fan from the time I was school kid. I know, I you got oh boy, gosh, bandwagon man. Uh, well, and it's funny you say that because it started. We have a March Madness family basketball football. Every March, the entire family gets together. All the teams that are in the tournament get thrown into uh, hats, and we randomly pull teams out for each bracket. And just so happened when I was old enough to actually understand what was going on in the tournament and start to pay attention to sports, um, it was 1996. I actually drew Kentucky that year and won the national championship. So I, I, I won a family team. And from that point forward, I was, I was UK basketball fan. Oh, Rick Patino. <laughs> Yeah, just, we don't mention his name anymore, though. Right. <laughs> well, how are they going to? I guess the, the question is if you had to pick one game to go to, Penn State football or UK basketball, where's the allegiance? I mean, one's obviously a lot of childhood nostalgia. You know, you, you, you live nearby, then you know, the other one's your alma mater. So I would say. UK basketball games at Rupp Arena are as electrifying as football games at Beaver Stadium. Um, but if I had to pick one, I probably would go to a Penn State football game. And I just, I don't think there's anything comparable 
in the sports world to a, a white light out game at Beaver Stadium at night. It's yeah. just it's insane. Yeah, it does look pretty awesome on TV. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. It, it's an unbelievable experience. I mean, most of the time you can't even hear the person talking to you directly next to you. It, it's 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 pretty cool. Awesome, nice. Yeah, all all twenty eight thousand IU football fans at a busy game would. Yeah, someday maybe. I do think we just saw the UK basketball out of conference schedule, and I think we may be getting IU back on the schedule this year. Yeah, I know Mike Woodson has been working on that. I mean, he's an old school former IU player and all that, and he's like. Like IU and Kentucky should play together, play each other every single year. Like that yeah. should be a guaranteed thing for, for both sides. Um, and so I think he, they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we make this? How can we bring this back together again? And whether that's a you know, you know, this year's in Lexington, next year's in Bloomington, the third year they find a, new, a neutral side or whatever. I don't know, but I think I think it'll come back together again. I think all the fans on both sides I think want that. So we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. It's a lot of history there. Yeah, agreed. What would you say as a, a third generation um, business owner and leader? What is the biggest challenge or challenges you see uh, you see today? By far, the biggest challenge for me personally was earning the respect of our employees. And more so, our our more tethered management team coming back into the business, and and honestly, that 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 took me quite a bit of time to achieve, and you couldn't or I couldn't achieve it through uh, communication or words. It, it had to be done through action. And I think the real turning point for me was in 2011, the oil and gas industry was moving into the Northeast mm-hmm. because of the Marcellus Shale, pretty hot and heavily. And and I looked at trying to figure out how we can get our, our business involved in that industry because we knew it was going to be a, a quote unquote, you know, gold, gold boom. And I spun off a, a, a new company or a sister company and developed a, a spray polyurea containment lighter. And, and that business or that division in about a three-year period um, grew into a five or six million dollar business um, almost overnight. And I, I think when you know the, the management team involved on the manufacturing side saw not only the success we developed from scratch with a with our own unique product uh i think they also saw the the motivation and the dedication that i had to continue to to grow the business versus sitting back and riding coattails and and taking it easy but that that was by far in, in my personal opinion, the biggest challenge that, that I've faced so far in my career. Yeah, so you basically are just, just a good segue into my my second question, which is, and one thing I've noticed in you, but going back to 
the the risk, if you will, of multiple generations in and trying to earn the respect of others, knowing that they could see you saying, well, he's just going to come in and put it on cruise control and just kind of let things ride. But you haven't done that. Um, what what do you feel like um, sets you apart from someone like that, which you basically kind of just answered, but really is do you see that you're just, you just have that constant drive uh, to some extent, kind of an utter, never satisfied kind of individual and and, and the understanding of a, there's there's always going to be better ways and different ways of doing things. Even that answer of, well, this is the way we've always done it is probably something that makes your skin crawl. It may have worked great for 15, 20, 40 years, but now a new technology is out that will make it more efficient or better or all the above. Um, and when you see an opportunity and if you, you know, you just start doing some due diligence and it makes sense, you're willing to go after it and try and seize it. Yeah, so a couple of comments there. I, I think two of my favorite quotes that I always reference when we talk uh, about growth opportunities of business, one of them is adapt or die. Um, if you're not constantly looking for ways to improve and to find better efficiencies and new technologies and automation, um, you're eventually going to get lost in the dust. And although maybe a little harsh, the other one I like, I think I took it from a Navy SEAL book, is moderation is for cowards. And so if you talk to my wife, my kids, my coworkers, whoever, most of the time we'll, we'll, they'll tell you that I'm running 30 miles per hour with my hair on fire. But that's what I enjoy. Like if I was sitting around with nothing to do or in that cruise control mode, I would be miserable. So I, I think that concept of never being satisfied, although that, that can be dangerous sometimes, mm -hmm. I also think it, it's a driving factor and why I'm constantly looking for the next thing. Yeah. Was that second quote, moderation is for cowards? Was that a David Goggins thing? It might have been. <laughs> Sounds like him. Although there's probably yeah. a few other words he, he put in there. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> that might also be why Vince made mistakes miles. in his 20s. <laughs> A few-ish. Um, let me ask you this. What? So we, I, I referenced earlier when I, when I have the chance or opportunity to talk to, let's say, kids just come out of school or about to graduate who have the opportunity to go into family business. If you were talking to the, you know, 20 to 22-year-old you today or – John and Jane Doe, who's about to graduate and has the opportunity to go into a family business, what advice might you give them? That's a good question. Um, and I would probably approach it similar to how my dad did by encouraging those to go out, kind of find their own pathway. But I would, I think I would do so or do so um, more vigorously. And when I say that, I mean, push them even harder than my dad did to find something else. And I just, I don't have any regrets. Um, but I, I do, if I look back in hindsight, wish I would have maybe taken a, a few years off prior to coming back to explore more so some of my hobbies, whether it was 
going down in the Keys and being a, a fly fishing guide or, or going out west and being a hunting guide for a few years. Um, but, you know, I have a 10-year-old star, and I know that's not a 22-year-old, but but every year we do those little cards on that first day of school about what do you want to be when you grow up. And every year for the last, I think, four years, as long as I can remember, he says, I want to be running the family business. And so I, I think to him, when that question comes up, and my encouragement to him, if that ever does become a reality for him and for us as a family, would be to to go explore some other things before you come in. Because at least for me, once I came in, it, it was chaos from day one, organized chaos from day one. And uh, it hasn't slowed down ever since. In fact, it's just gotten more chaotic probably. So you're going to yeah. give him the uh, King Jafar coming to America talk to his son. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's, people ask, how did you get involved in the family business? And I, I joke, but it's really not entirely a joke that you get sucked in. Because yeah. once you're in, and it's not a bad thing, but once you're in, it, it's just, it's 100 miles an hour nonstop. It's the same thing when I was a kid. I mean, as, as a family business owner, when you leave the facility at 4 or 5 o'clock at night, it doesn't stop. Mm-mm. You know, the last thing I'm doing before I shut the, the TV and light off at night is seeing if I have any emails that I need to respond to. And it's the very first thing I do at 5.30 in the morning when I wake back up. So uh, it's just, it it's a lot. And for somebody that's, that's younger and doesn't realize that, you know, I would just, you know, highly encourage them to go out, do something a little more relaxing before jumping in with two feet. Yeah, certainly. Um, you, you, we, we just were sort of backwards looking. Now let's be forward looking. Uh, what, what are you seeing the latter, you know, the rest of this year and early next year, since it's already August, which is hard to believe. Um, what's your crystal ball look like for you guys on your end? Um, and, and in order to achieve the things you may, see coming in the in call it the near term what are some of the biggest challenges that you're going to have to get through in that same period so we talked a little bit offline but um you know we currently have one of the of the large backlogs that we've seen since pre-covid um we do not see any signs of any recession coming in to at least impact us a great deal and if you would ask me that question three months ago, I probably wouldn't have answered that the same way. I would have been a little bit more apprehensive and cautious. Uh, our biggest challenge is being in a, a smaller community that is dominated by the manufacturing sector. Is, um, we're, we're all fighting for the same labor market. And Williamsport, as a community is challenged right now with lacking affordable housing to be able to go out and recruit people to move into the area um, for business opportunities. So I know there's a lot of local development going on right now to try to um, change that trend. But we're in rapid growth mode right now. We brought in 
some new technologies over the course of last year. Um, I just pulled the trigger on a, an adjoining property. It's an additional four and a half acres and 20,000 uh, square feet of additional manufacturing space to expand our uh, our FRP or our fiberglass capabilities. In, um, in painting department? Let's say that again. In painting department? That's right, in painting department. <laughs> Shout out to those accessing coatings, <laughs> the best on the market. Uh, I mean, I think we've been using accessing paint for 25 plus years. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. And so thank you for that. Our, our biggest challenge is it has been and still will be in the future will be labor challenges, labor, labor shortages. Yeah, and because of that shortage and everyone else going up to the same pool, that's just driving the price of the labor up as well. Uh, and that's what I think we've had uh, hourly wage increases a dozen times in the last two years. Yeah. Um, and it's really forced us to look at automating our processes, which then again requires additional capital investment because essentially that's, that's requiring, you know, new, new equipment. Yeah. We noticed that uh, last August we went to a, a large trade show down in Atlanta, saw several customers that we knew there, but also the just there's they kind of separate into segments or different sections and, and the, the the machine section, if you will, was way busier than it's ever been. And folks, companies that were, you know, not massive companies were looking at automation equipment for, for two reasons. One, the labor shortage. It's like, okay, I can't find people, but my business is still booming. I've got to find another way of making parts or making the widget that I make. Um, Or two, the equipment has, the technology has gotten better. It's gotten a little less, it's not cheap, but it's gotten less expensive. And so a a small to medium-sized business can actually afford it now and says, okay, hey, if I have to invest a quarter of a million dollars in this one machine, that's going to replace the three to five people, not replace, but that will take the take the role of three to five people that I can't hire anyway, and it's going to work 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, or whatever their shifts are, that 250 is going to be, the ROI on that's going to be real quick. And we've seen just multiple examples of that. And so you always talked about it and heard about it, but now it's really starting to happen and pick up. The, the, the hard part, of it, though, is they place the POS with machines, and there's so many people buying them that the back order's like, yeah, you'll get it in like 18 months. Is that no, we, we ordered two pretty large pieces of equipment, which are both newer technologies for us over the last year and a half. And our, our lead times were 14 to 16 months. Yeah. And you just got to figure out throughput in the meantime. Yeah. Which, which for us, unfortunately, for a lot of our people, has been a tremendous amount of overtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you're faced with that challenge of potentially burning people in out as well. All right, cool. Uh, any questions for us? Uh, I would ask you guys the same questions in your business. You know, just just quickly, what what are your main challenges, and what have you guys done in the last year or two to, you know, kind of tackle them and find new solutions? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like an echo chamber, really. 
are uh, are uh, yeah outside of the supply chain finally starting to 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 look better uh, a little bit more consistent the biggest issue for us is the same as you it's finding good people uh keeping good people um which we've been successful at but it's taken a whole lot of creativity and uh, you know the price of poker's gone up um and then and how do you you can't just throw money at someone and say okay I need to keep you happy. Here's more in your paycheck and you're, you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week because that only lasts so long before you, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, they hit burnout. And then like any of us, we get burnout. There's no productivity. Um, and then it just sort of spirals downhill from there. Uh, so it's been a function of balancing uh, wage growth that is manageable both for the employee, but also from the fiscal health of the company uh, because there's only so much that can be, you know, like they say, it you know, bad news rolls downhill and it rolls uphill. It, it travels both directions. And so there's only so much you want to absorb as much as you can because you want to remain competitive in the market with pricing. But there's only so much, so much absorption you can handle before you've got to pass things on. You've got the external pressure from supply, you know, raw materials, finished goods, things like that going up. You've got the internal pressure of wage growth. Uh, you know, so those costs are rising. Uh, commercial insurance, you know, all the fun, cool stuff about being a business owner. Uh, you know, those are the, those are the meetings I I try to avoid. Right? Yeah, I have somebody call me in the middle of them so I can sneak out of them. Yeah, commercial insurance and health insurance. It's like, oh yeah, okay. uh, your premiums are going up twenty percent. You're like, what? Well, yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm like, okay, well, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's the same we're not immune to any of that stuff. Uh, like, and it doesn't really matter what, what level of the supply chain you're in, uh, or what industry you're in it. We are feeling all of that. And I think we've done a good job, uh, our management team in particular, and really our whole team of providing feedback has done a good job of saying, okay, here are some ways to be creative by adding some benefits that yes, on paper, they cost money. Um, but in reality, the, the, the return is massive where, you know, we have a program we call the third, third program and uh, the uh, third Friday of the third month of every quarter, the entire company shuts down and it's a paid day off. It's, it's over and above vacation, holiday, PTO. Um, it's a set day uh, that, you know, like I said, the company shuts down and it, you know, so it's four additional days off where, you want to do nothing and just have some R&R, go for it. You want to try You know what's coming, so you want to schedule doctor appointments, dentist appointments, things like that around it. You can do that. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of like a, it's, it's a little tiny thing, but if you can do a lot of little tiny things, they, they add up and you just hope, like, you know, when you're, when, when you're, when you're going home at night and you're like, I hope I'm doing it right. And, and I think the, if you can look at the tenure of some of your team members, that's that would be the proof of the pudding right there. Sure, absolutely. So well, you guys yeah, have always world. been a phenomenal partner to us. And, you know, the one thing that I can really appreciate is, is you've been very proactive with your communication. So even, you know, throughout COVID, when supply chains got soft and, and things were difficult, we at least knew what was going on, which would allow us to, to, you know, plan our production needs. And, um, very, very grateful for that relationship and, and the team that you guys that are 
instructed to, to help serve your customers. Well, thank you for that. We appreciate yeah, your you. guys' business. And, uh, you know, over 20 plus years, obviously, we certainly have our challenges that we all go through and um, do do the best we can to, to make it, um, I don't know, not enjoyable. That's not the right word for sure. But uh, we work our way through it the best we can. And uh, we, we appreciate you guys, like, like you said, being a true partner, not just a vendor customer relationship. Um, I think that about wraps things up. Uh, I will certainly, or we will certainly take you up on that, uh, IU Penn state offer. Uh, I'll take a look at the schedules and whether that's this year or next year, we'll figure that out for sure. And, and reciprocate. So if you ever want to come to beautiful Bloomington, Indiana, there's plenty of tickets available. So we, we will have no, no problem finding you however many tickets you need. Um, so with that said, uh, thanks for your time today. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks for sharing uh, about your business and yourself. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Enjoyed it. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Thank all of you guys for joining us on this episode of the Industrious Podcast. We appreciate you all for taking the time out of your day to join us from wherever you get your podcasts or on the Assessor YouTube channel. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, guys, be industrious. <laughs>